We're joined today by Biloxi Shuckers broadcaster Javik Blake. Javik, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on, David. I'm really excited to have you on. We're we're uh, going to talk a lot about prospects. Pretty good time. A lot of the midseason rankings are coming out this morning. Even just MLB Pipeline releasing their their rankings for the top farm systems in baseball. And the Brewers ranked number three currently, which is an incredible rise so far in 2023. And many of the guys that are propelling the Brewers into that ranking are guys that have been with Biloxi for much of the year, have spent some time there. Uh, some of them are still currently there. And so there's really no better person to talk to than Javik about these these prospects. But before we get started talking about the prospects, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, this is your first year as the voice of the Shuckers. You've spent a little bit of other time broadcasting in other places. Um, and I know last year you were in the Northwoods League being a Wisconsin guy. as a Brewers podcast. I just wanted to touch a little bit on that. What was it like doing a full season of Northwoods games for the Doc Spiders in, in Fond du Lac? And, and kind of what was your biggest uh, thing that you drew from that experience last year? Well, I think the biggest thing about the Northwoods League, and, and this is something I always say, is that the as a broadcaster, you're asked to do a lot more than just broadcasting. And that's what was set up in the Doc Spiders and at the Doc Spiders. You know, we were owned by the Timber Rattlers, and our general manager, Jim Mishidek, is a guy who had been the baseball comms director at the Orioles and the Braves for, for a good long time, 15 years in the big leagues. He also worked with the Brewers and, and the Reds um, and various other MLB teams. So getting to learn the media relations side of things from him last year was incredibly massive. And it's minor league baseball. You know, you play 72 games in 76 days. It's actually more hectic of a schedule than minor league baseball because minor league baseball, we're in, we're in a city for a week. We get Mondays off. None of that occurs in the Northwoods League. You just play every single game, every single day, no off days. So that prepares you in such a big way for minor league baseball. You know, I feel like I walked out of there last year knowing how to do so many other things than just broadcast and call a game. And that's something I've built up over my last two years of being an indie ball for, for a year um, with the High Point Rockers in North Carolina. And then in the Northwoods League last year is building that background of not only being able to call a game, but being able to do everything else that goes into this job uh, on a given day, which makes it so much fun. And it's good baseball in the Northwoods League, which also makes it fun. We mm-hmm. had, I think, six different guys on last year's team ended up getting drafted, which is so much fun to be able to follow their careers and, and see where they end up, because it's just so much fun to be able to do that um, with, with the guys in the Northwoods League. And it's just such a fun environment. You know, I can't recommend it enough, and especially the Doc Spiders. Jim Mizidek's the man, um, and everybody in Appleton was fantastic. You know, Rob Zerjab was our team president, our owner, and he was he was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a short stint in Fond du Lac the prior year. Um, I think there were maybe a couple guys that we overlapped. Uh, I know Jackson Lofton was one that I played with. I think he went back, and now I saw he held the or he broke the team record for steals in his his team in A ball this year. In uh, I think in North Carolina, yeah, I forget which old, team he's with. Fayetteville Woodpeckers. There we go. Yeah, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Uh, so there are a couple guys that we've yeah we've crossed paths with. You mentioned doing some other things other than broadcasting with the Doc Spiders. What sort of media relations things did you do? Did you uh, give press releases or you know the game notes that that they prepare? Is that something you also do with Biloxi right now, or are you just quote unquote just uh, the voice of the Shuckers? Still a big job. Uh, but what is your what does your job look like right now? And uh, is that something that was kind of similar in Fond du Lac and in your previous stops? 
Yeah, so it's pretty much been similar stuff. It's at a larger scale now being in double A than at previous stops. Um, but my my dailies, you know, it's not just calling a game. It's obviously pulling tarps, the biggest thing that we all have to do and being in the South. Outside of this summer, when it has rained one day in the past month, it usually rains a little bit more. So you have to pull tarp a bit more. Mm -hmm. But not only am I broadcasting the game, but I am coordinating all media availability with our players and our staff and, you know, not only the staff on the team, but the staff in the front office with what we're doing out in the community, uh, making appearances on our, our local news stations, you know, doing a lot of writing, creating our, our program articles, um, hosting our pregame show, hosting our postgame show, running our website, doing all the web design that goes into it. Um, the media guide is an off season thing. That's the big off season project. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it, which makes it so much fun. You know, you go show up to the ballpark and you never really know what you're going to do on a given day. I mean, you know what you're going to do. It's maybe not in that order, um, which makes mm -hmm. it so much fun of what you're kind of doing differently day in and day out. And that's been similar at every single stop I've been at. Um, last year, you know, with the Knox Spiders, not only was I all the stuff I am this year, but I was also creating rooming lists and handing out hotel keys and making sure our hotels were good to go when we're on the road. Um, and in Indie Ball, you know, the same sort of thing there. Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into it on a given day, which makes it so much fun. You know, you're doing countless other things outside of just broadcasting, but they all help prepare you for the broadcasting. Like I do our game notes every single day. I write all of our press releases. You know, I keep up with all of our roster moves. That helps prepare you for the game because you do the game notes. You know what's in them because you put them in. Mm -hmm. there. So, mm -hmm. you know, come 635, you know what you're going to be talking about. You know what fun things there are to, to, to come up and stuff. So it really helps on the prep side of things. Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about broadcasting is, you know, I've never been a broadcaster like uh, like you, but many people think they just show up on TV 30 minutes before the game. They leave half an hour after and there's nothing else that goes into it. Uh, and it seems like what you're saying is that there are hours of prep work, even outside of creating game notes. But But even if you weren't creating the game notes, you would still be having at least hour, two hours, maybe more of talking with the players, gathering information and doing other prep work just to prepare for that one night's broadcast. Yeah. So on a given day, I'll get into our office around 9, 40, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, I won't leave until about 11, 11, 15 at night. So okay. there's, you know, there, there's, there's, you, it's not a show up an hour before and leave 30 minutes after kind of thing. You know, after the game, I'm handing out box scores, writing post game, eating food, the, you know, the things that one would do after, cause everything gets backed up by about five hours. So your dinner's at like 11 o'clock, which is, which is very fun. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you just kind of want to compress, decompress after a game and everything. Uh, but pregame, you know, I'm up in the booth by about two 30, you know, I'll get everything done on the non kind of broadcasting side in the morning, whether it's game notes, press releases, uh, whether it's, you know, getting stuff ready for, for our homestand releases or something that needs to be put on the website that kind of all gets, done in the morning and then about two thirty, four hours before first pitch is when i really get into broadcast gear start filling out the book go down for bp get the pregame interview um at home games i'll host our on-field pregame show that we show in the ballpark um and then get ready and you know 15 minutes before first pitch we got the pregame show and it's go time mm -hmm. i know it, i i've heard that managers fill out uh some sort of report to the big league team is that something that that you have any responsibilities for helping fill out any report after the game for the Brewers? 
No, so I don't I don't do anything on the player development side. I don't think they want my input. I'm just a broadcaster. <laughs> I like to talk about people doing good things and use the numbers and make it sound fun. Don't want to do anything involved. I'm going to leave that to David and the gang up in Milwaukee. I'll leave that to Mike and the boys here here in Biloxi. Um, no, so there's no nothing involved. But you know there is a thing where our stuff will be published um, in Milwaukee. Now, Adam McCalvey is out here retweeting our, our my game stories. Um, you know we mm-hmm. send weekly highlights. I'll send weekly highlights to uh, WTMJ and, and Josh and Jeff. Um, and Lane to play in the pregame show as part of their minor league report on Sunday. So there is there is a lot of involvement with Milwaukee, which I think is one of the cool things because I, I don't know if it's standard for all major league teams, but the amount of care that not only Brewers fans have for the minor league system, but the Brewers themselves at a big league level, um, especially on the media side of things, care about the minor leagues makes it makes it really cool because it's not just you're speaking into a void. You know, there's there's a wider reach on, on stuff you do. Um, you know, not only do people in Biloxi care about it, but people in Milwaukee care about it, which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been lots of hype around certain players especially, but I think even just really in the past five or ten years, there's been a big increase in the amount of prospect coverage. I think, think back to 10, 15 years ago, people didn't really know who their top prospects were maybe the one, maybe the the number two prospect, but that was about it. Now I, I feel like on Twitter, people are getting in arguments over some of the kind of the mid-level guys like, well, I don't want to give that guy up. And I think that's a big change. And I think also elevates the uh, the quality or the the reputation of minor league baseball, because there are, are people following uh, the minor leagues a little bit more. One guy that he had an excellent performance yesterday, went six innings, one hit, 12 strikeouts, Jacob Mizorowski, he's only thrown a few times in double A, and he's already dominating. The stuff is so good. You mentioned that he had a, I think it was a 2,600 RPM fastball, a swing and miss, and the major league average is 2,200 for a fastball, 23. Uh, what is what is it like watching that stuff? Uh, we know about the fastball, the big fastball. Uh, what does it look like from up close? And, and kind of like, do you think he's got big league stuff already? It's horrifying to look at. I don't want to be a hitter. Like I topped out at varsity high school baseball in Massachusetts and I couldn't hit anything that moved. And if it was a fastball more than 80, I was like, oh, this is a little fast. That terrifying. It's like 98. And since he's six, seven, he gets a massive amount of extension. So it's really 98 coming at you, not 60 feet away from like 53. And you look at the scroll and you're like, oh, 99. Then you look at the, we get the Hawkeye dashboard in the booth and you're like, Oh, it's a 2,600 spin rate. How are you supposed to hit that? It's ridiculous for him. The fastball is nuts, and his slider and curveball are, are really good. You know, anytime you have a fastball in the high 90s, your changeup is 90. It is a 90-mile-an-hour changeup, which trips me up all the time because I'm, you know, you look at the scoreboard and you're recognizing pitches and stuff, and he's the only guy who will ever say changeup and then followed by 90 miles an hour. So you have to kind of rewire your brain of recognizing pitches when Mizorowski's on the mound because it is so much harder. But anytime you can throw fastball at 98, seven mile per hour difference with the changeup, you throw in a high 80 slider and then a curveball that comes in at 80 miles an hour, 80, 83, which is on a given day, 15, 14 miles an hour, slower than your fastball. That stuff plays so so well and it is electric you know he's one of those guys where you can kind of see where he gains that confidence on the hill and last night was one of those things where it's 
improving start after start as he's getting more comfortable in double A. It's his first season, full season of minor league baseball. So there are obviously going to be some nerves associated with being in double A, all the hype surrounding him. And he's still a young kid, but seeing him build and build and build. And then last night come out two innings in, it was like, oh, this is going to be a day. And it was one of those things where they gave him a lead and he was like, all right, thanks for the run. That's all I need. Yeah, early in the year, I know that Biloxi squared off against Yuri Perez of the Marlins. He was called up, I think, pretty soon after and ran out like his first 10 big league starts allowed five earned runs or something crazy like that. And he's similarly right-handed pitcher, 6'7", 6'8", about the same age. Do you see Mizorowski as being someone like Yuri Perez who could come up even maybe right now and make a big impact in the major leagues? Or do you think there's a little bit more development maybe with the command maybe with turning a lineup around a third time? I think the big thing is for him, the command. Um, I think that that's really the big development thing for him because when it's in the zone, it's awesome. But, you know, you look at the hit batter numbers, you look at the walk numbers, they're still up there. You know, he walked three, hit two last night. But it was one of those things where the more he gets into an outing, you can see him get more comfortable. So it's a lot about the stuff is there. And and while the stuff is here in double A, it's going to be a whole lot of fun every time he goes out and just strikes out eight and misses bats, make guys look silly. But it's one of those things where the command is the big thing for him. But I think it's, you know, five starts into his tenure in double A, it's improved every single start. So I think it's good to see from Mizorowski to be able to see start after start after start. He's getting better on the hill. And, you know, you talk about could he make the big, you never know. You know, last time we were in Pearl, this is where we are right now, playing the Embraves. Amner Uribe was closing out the game for the Shuckers, and it was late June, and now here he is in the big leagues, dotting 100 mm-hmm. miles an hour, sinkers, finding himself on Pitching Ninja every night, um, and just dominating big league bats, which is so much fun to see. So anytime you see something like this, it's something that our manager, Mike Guerrero, the, the Shuckers always says, you know, guys can go up to the big leagues from this level, and we've seen it. Yuri Perez has been on the shuttle back and forth from Pensacola to Miami, back to Pensacola for a bit, and then back to Miami. So that is definitely something, you know, you could see a guy getting plucked up from double A to the big league level that's something that's happened in the Brewers organization um, and that's something that might very well happen again Mm -hmm. and the other guy that's been I think there's been a lot of talk not I think there has been a lot of talk around Jackson Churio all year long going into the year as potentially the top prospect in all of baseball he's only 19 he's got one full year of pro ball under his belt going into this year and last year was a, a season for the ages we've seen Really only the likes of Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr. put up numbers like Churio did at that age last year. And this year he got off to a little bit of a slower start, uh, but I know he's picked it up quite a bit lately. Have you seen a difference in Churio from first half to second half? Was it a matter of just getting comfortable adjusting to double-A pitching? Was it the the change in the substance of the baseball? I know there's been some talk around that at the All-Star break. Kind of what's fueled Jackson Churio's second half breakout? I think a big thing is is he's getting he's fanning less on those sliders off the outside corner. That was the pitch that killed him in the first half. His guys would just run it off the outside corner. 
he'd swing and miss on it. And that would be a majority of those whiffs in the first half. But we're not seeing those here in the second half. And that may be because without the tacky ball, guys, guys can't get that 17, 18 inches of run on their slider that starts middle, middle and dips off the outside corner. But he's also just been a, a really disciplined guy to be able to put the ball in play more here in the second half, which has been so much fun to see. And you talk about putting him in the, with names of likes like Stanton and Acuna. That's what Churio's doing again this year. You know, he's hit 17 home runs here in double A. That's more than Giancarlo ever did in double A as a teenager. That's more than Tatis ever did in double A as a teenager. And right now we're talking about Jackson being three home runs away from having the first 2020 season as a teenager in the high minors, double A or triple A, since Delman Young did it in 2005, which Jackson Churio was two years old, maybe. So yeah, wow. you know, it has been it has been quite some time since we've seen a guy as electric as Jackson's been here at the double A level. And the fact that he's going to end this year with a full year's experience in double A as a 19 year old sets him up for so much success in, in future levels. You think, you know, if he stays here the rest of the year and starts next year in Nashville. He's only a phone call away. And even this year. You know, he's putting up insane numbers. He's close to a 2020 season. And by 2020 is almost 30, 30 plus stolen bases this year. So, you know, he's a guy that could very well be in Milwaukee next year, the way he's been playing in 2023. What is his defense like? I know we talk about the bat a lot and we look at the offensive numbers. We know he's got speed, but it's I think it's only his second year playing center field. I think he was signed as a second baseman or shortstop. How have, how have his reads been? What's his arm like in center field? Do you think that long-term he's a center fielder in the big leagues? He's ridiculous. You wouldn't ever notice that he was signed as a shortstop and like was just converted to an outfielder. It's ridiculous. The balls he gets to, the range he has. Like, it's one of those things where there are guys where they'll make everything. Like My, my barrier for, for a good defensive guy is he makes the easy plays look easy and makes the hard plays look easy. And that's what Jackson does. The hard plays are easy, and the easy plays are just easy. But he makes everything look easy out in the outfield. And it's not like there's crazy – there are crazy plays, which are like, how did he get to that one? But those are on the ones that are more of the impossible spectrum than the hard spectrum. The hard spectrum is like, oh, I just ranged over 120 feet and caught that ball. No worries at all. So it's one of those things where his reads in the outfield have been really good. His arm's really good. Um, so it, it makes it a lot of fun in the outfield if he just gets to – pretty much anything that's hit in his direction. Though last night, he's probably pretty bored because Jacob Mizorowski did not allow a ball to the outfield until like the fifth inning. So there there were some nights where the pitching staff will make Jackson Churio probably pretty bored. He's like, all right, I don't have to do anything. It makes it pretty fun. Like Carlos Rodriguez, who's starting tonight um, mm -hmm. for the Shockers, is another one of those guys where, you know, there are nights where Churio will just be hanging out in the outfield, which is a really good thing for Churio because it means the pitching staff's doing well. But Churio's been so much fun to watch in the outfield. It's just in in awe of everything he does because you forget he's 19 and then you remember he's 19. You're like, Oh, this is insane. Yeah. One guy you just mentioned, Carlos Rodriguez. Uh, I, when I was looking about who, who should we talk about? He's kind of the one that gets forgotten. He was the Brewers minor league pitcher of the year last year in single a and high a. And then uh, he, I, I believe he was in the world baseball classic. I forget which country he represented. Uh, but he's having a pretty good year again. I heard that he was getting top 100 consideration on MLB Pipeline's list. What has Carlos Rodriguez been like? Do you think he's a future starter in the big leagues? Uh, what is what is his repertoire like? Just watching him pitch, what do you see in Carlos Rodriguez? 
I'm a big part of the Carlos Rodriguez fan club, and I'm a big part of the please put Carlos Rodriguez in the top 100 fan club. Guys are hitting 170-something off of him this year, which is 30 points better than every other qualified pitcher in AA, which is absurd. He's, it was, he's the only guy that batters are hitting above below 200 against, and his batting average against is in like the either 180s or high 170s, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who is just so much fun to watch in the mound. You talk about the World Baseball Classic start. That's what really kind of brought him out to a big stage this year and to kind of let people know who Carlos is. Because in that start, he struck out Javi Baez looking. And that's it, if you got him swinging, it would look way more impressive, way less impressive now than it did then. But getting Javi Baez looking on a really good pitch in the outside corner, starting in Miami, that's where he grew up after he moved to the U.S. from Nicaragua, wearing his home country's colors in their first ever World Baseball Classic game is just incredible to see from Carlos Rodriguez. And he's a guy who's carried that on throughout this season uh, with Biloxi. He's a guy who... and him and I have talked about this and he's talked a lot about how he's not a guy who's going to throw 95, 96, 97. He'll get it up to 95, but he's a guy who loves to rely a lot on movement and especially his cutter, which is, you know, high eighties, low nineties to pair with that fastball. He's got a big looping curveball that, you know, he'll pepper you in 95, 94, 93, 92, and then throwing a 78 mile an hour curveball and guys are falling all, all over themselves. Um, and that's something that he's really been able to bring out here in the second half, which has been so much fun to see. Cause he's a guy who, you know, I think would be awesome to have in Milwaukee. Um, and definitely as a starting rotation piece, you know, I always joke that between Jefferson Caro, Jacob Mizorowski, and Carlos Rodriguez, like you have a future battery two out of every five days of the week in Milwaukee in, in two, three, four years. So it's it's so much fun to see. Mm-hmm. Jefferson Carroll, that's someone that I w- wanted to talk about. He's shot up prospect lists this year. I think Keith Law of The Athletic had him in the top 100, and he was the only one going into the year. But now he's on MLB Pipeline's list, I think up in the 30s or 40s. Even Keith Law of The Athletic almost had him in the top 10 which is incredible. He was considered more of a glove first catcher back when he was signed. And then the Brewers have actually been able to really help him improve his offense, if I'm uh, remembering right. So what does Caro look like? I guess we'll start with the, the defense because that's been his calling card and he's only 20. So I think it's a 20, 2021. It's always impressive to me when you see a really good defensive catcher at that age. What do you, do you see a, a future big leaguer? I'm guessing the answer is yes. But do you, do you see someone, maybe a future all-star? Do you see uh, an above-average defensive catcher in Kiro? You know, I think it'd be great when th- four or five years down the road we're saying, oh, Jefferson Kiro starting in the all-star game. And did you know he played in Valencia at one point? The arm behind the plate's nuts. Like, JT Realmudo pop time kind of nuts. It's it's consistently below two is his pop time this year, I think is what it is. And it is so much fun to see because not only is he a great guy at throwing the baseball down to second, but he's also a great guy at pitch calling and framing. And I think he's been a guy who is just so good behind the plate as far as working with the pitching staff. And again, he's like, true, you forget he's 20 years old behind the plate. He's just such a veteran leader, which you don't see in guys who are 20 years old in double A. 
in their first year in double A after essentially skipping high A, which is what he did. He played 20 games in Appleton last year. So to see what Jefferson's doing at just 20 years old, and that's not even adding in the bat side of the equation, which has been ridiculous this year. It's been a blast to watch him kind of work with the staff throughout the year, and especially working with guys like Rodriguez and Mizorowski, who are hopefully going to be with Carroll and Milwaukee very, very soon. To see that is just an absolute blast to watch. Would you say that he's the best catcher you've seen this year? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, anytime you can have a guy throw out almost 40% of base runners, and not only that, teams just don't steal anymore against him. Mm. We've as, The Shuckers as a team have allowed, I think, 120 stolen bases this year, or 120 stolen base attempts this year, counting the guys they've thrown out and the guys who have stolen. That's lower than by like 40 than any other team in the Southern League. So not only wow. are, is he really good at throwing guys out, but he's so good at limiting opportunities to a point where teams just don't even try anymore. So it's basically mm-hmm. like Yadier Molina, what he did back right. in the day with the Cardinals, where guys just wouldn't steal. It's the same sort of thing with Carroll, where guys are just like, what's the point? I'm going to get thrown out anyways. Mm-hmm. So we're saying that Jefferson Carroll will be the next Yadier Molina? Oh, book it. Sounds good to me. We'll move on to Tyler Black. He's a little bit older. Uh, we, we've been, I feel like everyone on the Shuckers practically is 20, 21. Tyler Black, I guess, is, what, 22, maybe just turned 23. And he was called up recently to AAA, so not in Biloxi anymore. But what's impressed me most of watching some of his at-bats, looking through his, his stat line and everything, is uh, the way that he controls the zone. His walk rate is very high, tends to limit strikeouts very well. Would you say that's his best trait as a hitter is is controlling that? And and I think once you control the zone, everything else kind of falls into place, especially someone who can hit a little bit like Black. Uh, do you see a, a big league hitter in there, uh, someone who maybe would run high threes, even maybe a 400 on base in the big leagues? 100%. And especially if the challenge system they have in AAA with the ABF zone gets implemented in the bigs, Tyler Black will be the best player in baseball history in challenging full strike calls because he is so good. His swing decisions are off the charts and his eye is one of the best I've seen in the league this entire year. His ability to get on base is incredible. And the fact that he went probably 250 plate appearances with more walks than strikeouts before that flipped just is a testament to how good of a hitter Tyler Black is. And the fact that He's been getting a lot better on the defensive spectrum this year, I think is the big thing that's like going to get him to Milwaukee. Hopefully one day is the bats there. Like it is a big league bat. It is so much fun to watch on a day in day out basis. His OBP skills are absurd. Not only that, his baseball IQ is off the charts that he stole 40 plus stolen bases this year. And you look at him, he doesn't look like a big speed type of guy, but he gets in the base pass and the reads he gets are incredible. The speed he has is incredible. He's set the single season triples record with Biloxi. So to do all that, and again, to be a guy that is young, this is the Shuckers are the youngest team on the hitting side of things in double A. Like it is the youngest lineup night in, night out. So to have that from a guy like Black, who is, again, another young guy, just makes it so exciting to see what the future holds for him because hopefully it ends up with him in Milwaukee, hopefully by the end of this year, and if not the end of this year, by the start of next year. Mm-hmm. What did he look like at third base defensively? I know he spent most of the year there before playing a little bit at first base over the past month. Did he look comfortable at third? Was it something where maybe he looked a little bit uncomfortable at first and then gradually improved Do you think he's a big league third baseman? Do you think maybe first base is more of a spot? What do you think on the defense with Black? 
Well, I think the big thing for, for Tyler is he's just such an athlete that he'll be able to make any position kind of work. And it is the grand thing is find Tyler Black a defensive position that he can play so we can get to the big leagues because that bat is absurd. I think that's the big thing for Tyler Black. And I think that's part of the reason why he had a little bit at first place of, hey, let's try out what we got. Maybe we can bring him up as a first baseman. Um, and he looked all right. You know, it's one of those things where he it was the first time he'd ever played first base in his life. And the fact that he didn't have a first baseman's glove. So Wes Clark, who was also on the Shuckers, when Wes was DHing or Wes was catching, Tyler would be using his first baseman's glove and Mike Guerrero, our manager during infield practice, would be breaking in Tyler's brand new first baseman's glove that he just got from Rawlings Express Ship to Biloxi. <laughs> and I think that's a big thing for Black is his work ethic is absurd. The amount of work him and Mike Guerrero, the Shuckers manager, put in day in and day out throughout this year on the defense is insane. I don't think anyone's taken more ground balls in minor league baseball, whether it's at third base for most of his time here or first base Black's final two to three weeks in Biloxi. I don't think anyone took more ground balls in the Southern League than Tyler Black. The amount of work he put in on a day out, day in, day out basis was just so impressive to see. And I think that's such a big thing for Tyler. And I think that's why no matter what defensive position he ends up at, at the big league level, it's something where he's going to get continuously better. His work ethic, whether it's in the cage or on the field, is incredible. And that's a testament to Tyler, not only as a player, but as a human being of a guy who is going to play at 102% every single night and want to get better on and off the field every single day. And that's something we saw at third base from this year. That's something we saw at first base from this year. There aren't many guys who halfway through the season, they go, hey, we're going to play you at first base. You've never played first base in your life before. And anyway, all right, let's get after it. Let's get out there every single day and let's do it. And I think that's such a big testament to why Tyler Black will be hopefully an incredibly good big leaguer is his work ethic is insane. Yeah, you always love to hear that. People talk about the makeup when they're drafting players and that sometimes is what helps propel them. Of course, you have to have tools, but the makeup and the drive and the work ethic is what separates maybe the talented guys who don't make it versus the talented guys who end up having long careers. And Tyler Black certainly seems like one of those who can and who probably will have a long and successful big league career. Before we wrap up, we've got a segment called Five and Dive. Five questions for you uh, before we before we go. Uh, we've talked about Jefferson Quero, Jackson Churio, Mizorowski, Black, Carlos Rodriguez. Other than those five, who's one prospect that should be on the radar of Brewers fans um, that we haven't spent time discussing? You know, I don't know if this is a so so much so a, a prospect, but Isaac Collins has put together one of the most under-the-radar seasons in AA this year. He doesn't qualify for any rate stats yet because he spent a month in AAA, played two games, got three at-bats, got hurt, was out for a month, and came back to AA. He's a guy who has an average of around 290, has the lowest strikeout rate out of anybody in AA, or in the Southern League with at least 250 plate appearances, the least amount of swinging strikes, like the least rate of swinging strikes of anybody in the Southern League. His OBP is in the top 10. His OPS is in the top 10. The power has started to turn around in the second half. And he's another guy that, like Black, can play seven defensive positions. We've seen him at third. We've seen him at second. We've seen him at short. We've seen him at all three positions in the outfield. He's a guy that the Brewers actually got from the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft last year from the Colorado Rockies. And Black is a guy who would be able to play anywhere. And he's basically like a 
kind of a carbon copy of Black with a little less power, which makes it so much fun to see because he is another guy who was in AA last year, had kind of a so-so year, really turned it up at the end of September. But his first season with the Brewers has been incredibly fun to watch of just being able to get on base at a ridiculous clip. I think his OBP is through four. 15 420 his OPS is almost 900 um and the league average in the OP the league average OPS in the Southern League is about 750 so he's really up there and he's really turned it on to a point where it would be hopefully fantastic for him if he ends up at AAA either by the end of this year or ends up as a regular in AAA next year um, and hopefully gets that crack at the big leagues I remember a few years ago Dylan Moore was a guy with Biloxi and he had an excellent year as kind of a similar type of player. I think he was a minor league free agent signing by the Brewers, but he was at least about 25 when he was in Biloxi. Utility guy had a a very good year and then got signed to a, I think a major league contract by the Mariners, spent some time in the major leagues over the past few years. Not sure exactly if he still is, but Collins seems like someone who could be uh, a little bit like that following that same path. Question number two, what's your favorite part of broadcasting? Oh, I think the favorite part would be Outside of the game itself, I think it's just the stories. You know, I'm with these guys for 138 games. Today's the 110th game at the time of this recording. So being around the guys on a day-in, day-out basis and getting to learn all the fun things. Abner Uribe was a guy, like the whole story with his glove is so much fun. He was never a guy who liked getting crazy gloves. And then he got bored in the offseason and made the glove that we now see at the big league level or Mm. the rainbow glove that Sophia Minnert tweeted out. Mm -hmm. Um, Or Ethan Murray has his own glove company that he uses. And it's, it's called Emerald gloves. He that's his, that's his side hustle. He has his own glove company Um, or Tyler black, you know, his favorite player is, um, you know, his favorite players growing up were all Blue Jays because his dad worked for the Blue Jays when he was a kid and his dad would go to work and he'd leave, you know, little Tyler, who's seven, eight years old, hanging out watching BP. Um, so it's those stories that make it just so, so much fun about broadcasting because the day in and day out of working with these guys uh, is is just so much fun. And not only are they all talented, they're all great people. Um, so to be able to talk with them on a day in, day out basis and get to learn more about them, not only as players, but as human beings and be able to talk about that on the broadcast in addition to all the fun numbers and stats that we get on a daily basis, uh, just really makes it such a fun, such a fun opportunity on a night in night out basis. What would you say is the most difficult part about broadcasting? Ooh. I think the difficult thing would be finding different ways to say things. That's always something I'm challenging myself to do is figure out different ways to describe things because there, there are a million ground balls in a given night, but how do you mm-hmm. describe the ground balls? Are they chopped? Are they splayed? Are they, you know, left and right? Finding all those different adjectives to come up to describe certain things, I think, is something that is the challenge of it, which makes it so much fun. And especially on the radio side of things, every single night, it's all right. How do I describe X better? How do I weave in this story better? And I think that's always something that I'm pushing myself to do on a daily basis is finding ways to get better. You know, there's something I noticed last week of like, hey, ground ball hit to the right side, so-and-so grabs it, but what position does he play? So that's something I've been working on um, this past week. You know, it's the little type of things that you really, you know, want to hone in on. Um, and that's something that that I've really been fortunate enough to do with the 138-game season, just like players who are changing up things about their approaches or 
learning a new pitch. We do the same thing as broadcasters. We're working on our, our craft every single night. To be able to do it nine innings a night, 138 times a year is is quite the incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Southern League road city to visit? Ooh, Pensacola. Pensacola is the favorite. Mm-hmm. Is that one? Right that one's the on the the golf. Yeah, yeah, it's right by the beach. Um, it's one of our. It's actually one of our shortest trips of the year, but it's right by the beach. Um, the ballpark's super cool. It looks out over the bay. Um, and they, I mean, Pensacola is also really good this year. So every game between the two of you know the Shuckers and the Blue Wahoos is always just tight and fun. Um, so it's it's such a fun it's such a fun place to to be, and especially being by the beach is always nice. Mm-hmm. And our final question: Should Brewers fans take a trip down to Biloxi? And if so, why sell them on, on maybe the city, the team? Uh, why, why, why should Brewers fans take a trip to Biloxi? Well, for the final 12 home games we have this year, plus the playoff games, you can see Jackson Churio, Jacob Mizorowski, Jefferson Caro, various other prospects who will end up in, in the big leagues one day. And uh, it's minor league baseball, so you can get a ticket as low as $8 and come out. And I think that's such a big thing about minor league baseball is, and that's something I talk about, a ton is minor league baseball is the closest you're ever going to get to these players. You know, there are kids that can stand on the railing, ask Jackson Trio for an autograph, and he's more than welcome um, to sign for kids and take pictures and stuff. And if you're a kid who's five, six, seven years old, and you're getting into baseball, minor league baseball is such a good way to develop your love for the game because you are so close to everything. Usually the tickets are much less expensive than a big league team. Um, the players you see there will, end up in the big leagues one day. You know, that's how I got into baseball was through minor league baseball. Um, so to be able to to do that and go to big league games as well and kind of get that full experience of of seeing the bright lights, the big league level, and also the opportunity to get close to the players at a minor league level and closer than you might ever get to in their entire career um, with the stadiums usually being smaller um, and there usually being more opportunities to talk with players. Um, you know, we did a autograph session this Sunday prior to our game, and it was Jackson Churio and Xavier Warren. You know, if you show up to the ballpark at when gates open and from 410 to 445, you can get Jackson Churio's autograph. The week before it was Jacob Mizorowski. Um, you know, there's bobblehead giveaways, there's t-shirt giveaways, and that's what makes minor league baseball so much fun is how fan-friendly it is. Um, and, you know, if you are a family and you have kids, you know, you can not only come down to Biloxi where there's the beach, there's the casinos, there's all the all the fun things to do. But you can also go to a baseball game and get closer to the next Brewers stars that you may never get as close to again, um, which is just so special and so fun to see the smiles on kids' faces on a nightly basis and so fun to look around the ballpark or even, you know, walk on down the field for pregame and, you know, you see a kid who's five, six years old with the baseball with all the autographs. Like, that's that's minor league baseball right there, and that's what – that's what brings, you know, outside of the the baseball and, and the great players we see on a night in, night out basis, being able to look around the ballpark and and see the kids who who are younger, you know, with the smiles on their faces, with the the signed posters and the signed jerseys. You know, that's what that's what's brings a smile to my face every night. Well, there you have it. I I've always I've always wanted to visit Biloxi. I haven't been there yet. Um, but you're you're selling me pretty quick on why I should go visit Biloxi. I think many fans would say the same thing especially right now, hard not to to want to see probably at least, what, 20, 25% of the future Brewers roster is playing there right now. Uh, seems like an excellent road trip destination. Well, thank you so much, Javik, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and, 
and sharing with us about the future brewers, about your career. Uh, it was a blast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.